This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. Pardon the bad joke, but the airline industry is an up and down business. For good or bad, things can turn around really fast. And there might be no better example than Australia's Qantas. The airline was just shy of rock bottom not that long ago. In 2013, Qantas had a pre-tax loss of $100 million. Then in 2014, the airline eked out a 1% operating margin. And now that 2015 is in the books, they haven't just merely gotten back to the good old days. Yeah, not at all. A billion dollars in pre-tax profit, 11% operating margin, best in their 95-year history. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about Qantas's record-setting year, and no conversation about Qantas is complete without Virgin Australia and Air New Zealand. Plus, Avianca and Aeroflot are proving their resilience. And lastly, will United be facing a shakeup of its board? It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. joining us. So we've been talking about Qantas's comeback really since the second half of 2014, but the story keeps taking shape. They've gone from the bottom of the dumpster to not just normal again, but the best year ever. And this was fast. This was not gradual or evolutionary. This was more like waving a magic wand. Seth, has there ever been a turnaround story better than this? Well, you know, gosh, it's pretty dramatic. You know, I guess you could say that turnaround stories involving airlines that were really on death's doorstep, you know, were in some ways maybe more dramatic. You know, Qantas, to their credit, was in crisis mode in terms of the way they were acting before they were really in a crisis that was, you know, about to drive them into oblivion. Their international business in in particular was bleeding badly. Uh, You know, short haul through most of it was doing rather well. uh, And yet they acted with an urgency that you would have thought they were about to go out of business and and credit them for that. Because, because, you know, uh, airline industry history is full of, of examples of airlines that, you know, that that should have seen problems emerging, but were but sort of let the good stuff subsidize the bad stuff for a while, and then you know then things did get sort of beyond repair. Uh, so in their case, um, you know they took care of all the problems um, and, and and acted rather proactively, and yeah, restored themselves from what, as you said, was was a, 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 a an awful loss to a very impressive uh, profitability. So, uh, you know, so, so, so if anything, the only reason, uh, you know, I can't really call it the most dramatic in history is simply because they, to their credit, never let things get as bad as they got at, oh, let's say an airline like Delta at one point in time. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a book out there about that turnaround story. I read that book. <laughs> um, usually when you see things going this well, it's not just one thing that's going right. There's a lot to talk about. Let's start with the 800-pound gorilla. How have oil prices affected things for Qantas? Oh, uh, you know, rather dramatically, as, as for a lot of other airlines around the world. You know, their, 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 their fuel prices paid have fallen. Uh, you know, now, 
mitigated somewhat in, in, in a bad way by by uh, currency movements. You know, Australia's dollar, of course, has has sunk, and so the price that they effectively pay in in, in Australian dollars for jet fuel uh, has not declined by as much as jet fuel has fallen in dollar terms, but. They have been able to enjoy the full benefit, at least, uh, of the fuel price fall in, in terms of uh, their hedge position, which is, although they although they hedge rather actively, they, unlike a lot of other airlines, are not now stuck spending a lot of money to unwind bad hedges. And that's because what they do is they purchase options. Uh, you know, they're different hedge strategies. Uh, you know, commonly, airlines will do what are called swaps, where, uh, where basically they're agreeing to purchase fuel in the future, you know, essentially, for, for predetermined prices. And so you know, when you have a situation like this where fuel prices have fallen, they're basically kind of, and I mean, this is simplifying, uh, you know, they're basically stuck paying more for jet fuel than they would pay if, if, if they weren't hedged. What Qantas did is they purchased options. So this is sort of like, I think a lot of people are familiar with a stock option where, you know, you, you buy an option, it basically gives you the right to purchase, uh, you know, shares of something in the future for a, uh, you know, for a price, for a given price, but you don't have to do it. So that's what they did with jet fuel. They actually they pay a lot of money for that, to be clear. But it's money that they spent in the past. You know, it's gone. It's sunk cost. Um, so that uh, you know, now when you're in a situation like this, where the spot price of fuel is well below the the strike price uh, of the options, they have the flexibility to simply not exercise the options, uh, and they're not stuck spending. You know, like some airlines, you know, tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars unwinding bad hedges. For months now, we've been talking about how, all things being equal, a weak home currency is usually a bad thing for an airline. The Australian dollar is certainly weak right now. Is Qantas one of the few exceptions to the rule? Uh, well, yeah, uh, you know, and this, this too, gosh, give them credit. You know, they um, made the argument, you know, over the past couple of years, as as these currency trends were sort of beginning to take hold, uh, Australia's currency weakening, they made the argument that that could be good for them. And I will be the first to admit that, you know, I sort of you know, take a step back and say, well, maybe, but, you know, generally weak local currencies are bad for airlines. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the exceptions can be airlines that have a whole lot of inbound tourism. Uh, so, you know, so you, that could be an airline like, let's say, Thai Airways, where, you know, very strong di- directionality, people, you know, flying to Thailand in, in far greater numbers than people um, fly out. Well, Australia, I mean, has a fair amount of out- outbound demand, too. But, yeah, that was their argument that uh, it would be just very good for uh, inbound tourism to Australia. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at their results and, 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 and they were kind of right, uh, you know, maybe to a to a surprising degree relative to what you ever really could have could have expected. Certainly, at least hard to say it's bad for them. I mean, there are other things that are going right, too. That's that's not to say that the reason for their uh, outsized financial performance is the weak currency. But again, can't, can't be hurting them too badly considering how, to, how well they're doing. That weak home currency is attracting a lot of other airlines to Sydney as well. Is that worrisome for Qantas in any way? You know, you know that, too, uh, here... You know, Bad news can be good news for them in, in in the sense that I mean, look, when when they talked about uh, weak currency attracting lots of visitors, of course, if you have a lot of demand, you know, somebody else is going to be meeting that demand too. So I'm sure they factored in that there would be additional capacity on on other airlines too. You know, what happens is when you have all these other people coming to Australia, even when they come on other airlines, you know, guess what a lot of them do when they get there? They get on Qantas domestic flights, trans-Tasman flights to uh, New Zealand, uh, you know, so 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 they too often become 
customers for Qantas. So just a lot of extra people flying to and around uh, Australia ends up meaning a lot of other uh, potential business for Qantas. Uh, another thing, by the way, Jason, is that you know, when you just kind of look at other airlines showing up there, remember, not all of them are competition for Qantas because Qantas itself has joint venture partners where it's sharing revenues from other airlines. So, uh, you know, new American Airlines service. I mean, that's that's a joint venture. Emirates, China Eastern. You know, th these are airlines that are not competing against Qantas. They're cooperating with Qantas. Uh, and and so so in, in those cases, the long haul flights are very much revenue opportunities uh, in their own right. You know, not to mention then opportunities to to get some short haul business too from the people on the long haul flights. And meanwhile. Virgin Australia, its biggest competitor, they aren't doing as well. In their second half of 2015, Virgin posted a 6% operating margin versus Qantas's 12%. Are Virgin's struggles one of the things that's going right for Qantas? Yeah, I mean, you got to figure it's helpful for them. Um, you know, a lot of times airlines, you know, kind of kind of feel the opposite of that. They feel like, you know, strong uh you know, very rational competitors are 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 the best thing for for the industry. And and you know, Virgin, gosh, you know, they're 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 a strange airline in the sense that they are owned jointly by three other airlines. You know, by which I mean Air New Zealand, uh, Singapore Airlines, and Etihad, which by all appearances anyway, kind of use the airline for, for their own purposes. Um, they're, they're kind of strategic investors uh, rather than just financial investors, you know, just kind of only interested in, in Virgin's own financial well-being. And, and so, uh, you know, they use it to funnel passengers onto, onto their own networks, into their own hubs and so forth. And so, you know, that kind of prevents it from uh, being run in the same way that you would run an airline, just just uh, you know, kind of a, on its own merits to make money for itself. So, you know, how does that net out for uh, Qantas? Well, yeah, in some ways, probably helpful because maybe Virgin's missing some opportunities that Qantas is able to pick up. On the other hand, you know, because you have had all this inflow of, cap of capital from these other airlines into an airline that um, you know hasn't typically generated very strong returns in recent years, um, you know, justifying all that capital, maybe, you know, Virgin just might be a lot bigger. There just might be a lot of kind of more capacity in the market um, than would uh, would otherwise be the case. So, yeah, hard to hard to say how that nets out uh, for for a Qantas. Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's there's no question that Qantas, including, of course, Jetstar, uh, you know, which which um, you know, Qantas has has lower uh, costs than even Tiger, uh, which is owned by by Virgin Australia. Uh, Virgin or Qantas rather and Jets are together doing uh, doing very very well, um, and and certainly you can't can't say that as emphatically about Virgin Australia. Is there anything Virgin can do to turn things around? Well, um, I guess you could say undo some of the things that they've uh, that they've done. You know, they've 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 um, you know they've kind of tried to move up market in, in a lot of ways, and and uh, you know while it's of course you know always a moving target to try to say you know what has caused what because a lot of things have have you know changed in the world that you know could explain them slipping. But I mean, there's no question that you know they started life as Virgin Blue as a as a low cost carrier, and uh, they've tried over the years to sort of be you know, kind of all things to all people to some degree, uh, you know, obviously flying long haul to the U.S. and so forth, which is, you know, which is a tough business to be in, lacking the kind of scale that Qantas has, for example. And uh, yeah, you know, so, so um, you know, those are all things that sort of took them away from their from their original model. Um, they did uh, yeah, buy Tiger Air, which gave them that sort of low cost or 
you know, maybe ultra low cost presence and so forth. But yeah, you know, it's just they, they've done a lot of things, but they haven't seemed to add up to uh, to profit. So I, I guess I guess uh, maybe a time machine just to sort of go back back in time would would uh, be the best thing. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, the templates out there for how to you know, how to how to, how to improve fortunes as an airline. It, it's, it's just a question of whether, you know, they have the full freedom to do those things, as I said, sort of because of their ownership structure where uh, they exist seemingly anyway, not only to make money uh, for themselves, but also for the benefit of, of, of their shareholders who are running their own airlines. And looking forward, can Qantas keep this record-breaking pace going another quarter or more? Well, I, you know, I mean, this is the airline industry, so you always have externalities that that can you know change the world in a, in a way that you know that that an airline can't quickly react to and just you know, make, you know make things worse for reasons beyond their control. But uh, but sure, I mean, there's every reason to think that you know, I mean, look, some of the good things happening are just in in their early stages. They've over the past few years, uh, you know, they have restructured the international network. They've really gotten hands on uh, some of their labor costs, really right sized their maintenance operation. Look, the Dreamliners, and I'm talking Dash 9s, 787-9s, have not even started arriving at mainline yet. Those are those are great aircraft for for you know a lot of what Qantas wants to do. Yeah, the the range and and you know a plane that's not too big to uh you know by virtue of Qantas's geography, serve market that they're either in or or have to look at. So those will be very helpful. They've been doing a really good job of of you know very dynamically moving the network around to account for. I mean, look. Uh, Australia's economy is is under pressure. Uh, you know, you know parts of it, especially out west. You know, uh, p- places that are hit hit when commodity prices fall as they've been falling. You know, the mining sector and so forth. They've been doing a real good job of just kind of dynamically down gauging, using smaller aircraft in those markets, putting the bigger aircraft in places where there are more opportunities. And yeah, I mean, there's 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 every reason to think that unless just something else goes wrong in the world that they can't very quickly react to, uh, that they can continue doing well. Staying in this neighborhood a little longer, let's talk about an airline that's technically doing even better than Qantas. I'm talking about Air New Zealand, who continues to surprise. In fact, surprise is the right word. I was digging around in our archive, and uh, last year at this time, we wrote that Air New Zealand produced, quote, another logic-defined set of profits. Fast forward to just two weeks ago, we wrote that ANZ is, quote, an overachiever, unquote. Maybe we need to recalibrate our expectations. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Anyway, the airline posted a 14% operating margin in the second half of 2015. My question, how similar is Air New Zealand's playbook to Qantas's? You can tell from my question, I, I see similarities. Yeah, well, I mean, in some regards, they're, they're just you know, they're kind of a smaller version of Qantas, right? I mean, yeah, they both have the... the uh, the, the geographic challenges of, of, you know, operating in a part of the world where, to, to put it mildly, it, you know, it's not Dubai or you know, someplace or, or Singapore, for that matter, or someplace where you're going to capture a lot of connecting traffic flows um, between all different corners of the world. But fortunately, you know, strong inbound tourism. And yeah, they've uh, they've done a good job capturing that. It's a, it's a less competitive market uh, you know, in terms of domestic New Zealand, for example, um, you know, uh, than Australia is. But it's also, you know, it's also a smaller market. So, you know, that all probably uh, nets out pretty similarly. But uh, yeah, I mean, very broadly speaking, uh, similarities, although, uh, although plenty of differences. And besides scale, how are they different? 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously one in Emirates. It's just much bigger. Um, you know, and it's a different traffic mix. I mean, you know, Australia has, has a lot of multinationals, you know, if, if not based there, then with, uh, you know, with large regional offices there, a lot of corporate travel to the place. You know, New Zealand has some of that, but um, you, you're, you're talking about a lot more leisure travel, just a smaller market in general, which, you know, for one thing means uh, less domestic competition in a lot of regards, just fewer airlines doing business uh, domestically within New Zealand. So that's helpful for Air New Zealand. But on the other hand, well, that's because it's a smaller market. <laughs> so there, there are there are fewer opportunities there. Uh, it's well, the, the place where because you have uh, the, the population divided between two islands, that's helpful in terms of air travel, because, uh, you know, by definition, uh, you know, although Australia has its large distances that practically speaking, encourage people to travel by air. Uh, you know, you have points with New Zealand where you simply cannot travel overland. You know, well, one, one key difference, too, is that big market for Air New Zealand, by ASMs at least, because of the di- distances, um, is North America. Qantas has uh, a very important uh, joint venture. They, they've actually said it's their most important joint venture of all with American, whereas Air New Zealand does not have a joint venture to, to North America. So, uh, you know, for example, when you see United adding flights to New Zealand as they are indeed doing. Uh, you know, it might be tempted to think, oh, there you go, Star Alliance partners, just like you know, Qantas and American are one world together. Uh, but the difference there is that um, United and Air New Zealand are not in a joint venture together. Uh, you know, although it's impossible to say, you know, for sure how Air New Zealand feels about that new uh, United capacity. You know, that is competing capacity in the sense that they don't share revenues there. Uh, you know, they didn't decide jointly to have you know, to put those flights in. It's different in that regard. And and related to that uh, is the fact that I mentioned before, it's not a huge market. So when somebody else shows up as, guess what, American is doing, uh, you know, it's part of the Qantas joint venture. Gosh, uh, you know, you add a few hundred seats a day to a market like Auckland, and that's a lot of new competing capacity. You know, so, you know, all of a sudden that can really alter the competitive balance there. You know, in a way that doesn't happen when somebody shows up with a couple hundred new seats uh, in 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 Sydney or, or other Australian cities. So you know, uh, Air New Zealand, just by virtue of its size, uh, will always be somewhat more vulnerable. But uh, got to give them credit for what they've achieved because they, uh, you know, as, as 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 you as you said, we said, <laughs> do indeed. Uh, continue defying gravity. All right, breaking away from Australasia, let's go west where we have another central slash South American carrier defying expectations. With Brazil enduring what it's enduring, we expect everybody in that part of the world to be struggling. But again, that's not the case. Following Copa's not too terrible results, Avianca in nearby Bogota did even better. Avianca posted a 9% Q4 margin, a little better than Copa's 7%. Yeah, rather impressive, you know, considering everything. It's that's going on in, in, in Central and especially South America, especially deep South America. In recent years, typically, Avianca has always done rather well, but Copa was usually a more profitable airline. Uh, the the difference there probably be explained uh, almost entirely by the relative exposure to problem markets. I'm talking about uh, uh, Venezuela and Brazil. And Jason, we wrote in our issue that you know Copa is much more exposed to those, and I actually went back and double checked it because because you know you picture them and you think, well, why would you know Copa be so much more exposed to to Brazil and Venezuela than would Avianca? I mean, you know, if anything, you know, 
Colombia is, is, is closer to those places than the Panama and so forth. Of course, Avianca has multiple hubs, uh, you know, out, outside Colombia as well. But, but yeah, I mean, I double checked and yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just the reality that Copa did more business in those places. And so while, of course, they've been, you know, shifting around capacity and everything, it's, it's, you know, when you have things go as poorly as they've gone, uh, you know, rather suddenly in two of uh, your most important markets, much more important than they are for Avianca. Obviously, that's going to take time. Uh, you know, you move capacity around, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the reallocation of capacity, I mean, the demand is going to take time to materialize for whatever new things you're su- you suddenly find yourself having to do. And so, uh, you know, that, 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 that explains a lot of um, the differential. They, although, you know, give, give credit certainly to Avianca. They are uh, putting up rather impressive numbers uh, under under difficult circumstances, which, by the way, include Colombia. You know, a lot of domestic competition now. I mean, everybody's trying to uh, do business domestically there. You know, they're always challenged with an airport in Bogota where just, just capacity constrained, uh, challenged by altitude. You know, you know, it's hard to get out of there with, with uh, without um, uh, sort of compromising a lot in terms of, you know, smaller aircraft, a lot of engine thrust and so forth. Just, just all kinds of things that they have. Uh, managed to overcome, helped by uh, their diversity of hubs, you know, uh, hub in Lima, good for the north-south connections. And without some of those challenges that I mentioned in in Bogota, uh, San Salvador, another uh, small but uh, but helpful hub too. Are you worried for Avianca that unlike their competitors, they don't have a JV or similar partnership? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Copa doesn't have a, a JV, but they, you know, they have a very close partner in United, which at one point, owned gosh almost half of copa and uh yeah avianca doesn't have anything that close you know uh, latam of course trying to form J- jvs with 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 both american and iag uh and and you know, every reason to think that those will be rather powerful uh so we'll see you know if that does get regulatory approval you know will avianca pursue something with you know who knows united which which would be you know sort of the the first airline that would come to mind in in uh, north america you know who knows, uh, you know, would they pursue something with, you know, with with Tap Portugal, uh, which is their Star Alliance partner in southwestern Europe, kind of the first one or, or, or who knows with, with Lufthansa or somebody like that. Who knows? It's, I don't know whether it's a strategic vulnerability as much of a curiosity, but no question. Joint ventures have been very, very successful. Most places they've been uh, done around the world and Avianca doesn't have one. So, you know, if anything, an, an opportunity for them if, if they uh, if they do pursue something like that. Okay, let's head back across the globe. Aeroflot reported a negative 1% operating margin in Q4 and a positive 3% margin for the year. That's not very good in a vacuum, but you might say those are great results for an airline that is taking some of the hardest blows amid the commodities crash. Yeah, just wow. Um, if you look at what has gone on in Russia you know, with the economy, with the currency and so forth, you know, if 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 you had just said to me, you know, I, I give you this, you know, tell me where Aeroflot was a year or two ago, and then tell me what's happened in Russia, I, I would probably guess that things would be worse uh, than they are. They've done a great job of uh, you know really rebalancing their network, emphasizing uh, you know domestic over international. 
uh, because of course the the currency situation one thing that it does I mean in addition to inflating Aeroflot's costs for fuel and aircraft and so forth uh, it also just you know makes Russians poorer I mean gives them less spending power abroad so they're taking more domestic vacations um, and and Aeroflot's been been rebalancing things to to capture that demand uh, you know, they've benefited of course from Transaero's collapse and and just just in general from the fact that most of their uh, domestic competitors are worse off than uh, than they are but no but I mean they're clearly doing rather well in, in the face of some uh, some some seemingly insurmountable uh, challenges but I guess they've surmounted them and we'll finish in the US where it seems that United is just not going to be left alone until it starts posting more competitive profits a couple of major shareholders par capital and altimeter capital have moved this week to appoint some new board members this comes just days before United's still very new CEO will return from heart surgery let's start with this what about the timing of this move? Well, yeah, as you said, days before Oscar Munoz comes back full time from, from his heart transplant, but also just a day after United itself appointed three new members to its board, which uh, if you just kind of read through everything that's that's uh, that's come out from both sides, you know, the accusation by um, by by the two hedge funds is that United appointed those new directors to try to fend off some of the demands of these hedge funds, you know, basically to, to, to sort of pack the board with more friendly directors, sort of like FDR in the 1930s, you know, didn't like some of the things the Supreme Court was doing. So he wanted to just add Supreme Court justices, <laughs> to, you know, the, who would be friendly to him. And uh, that, that, of course, uh, did not end up happening. Uh, but that that's the accusation here. Some interesting personalities involved, too. I mean, it's, you know, one of, one of United's new directors is Jim Whitehurst, the, uh, the most prominent name among the new directors that that the hedge funds want to elect is Gordon Bethune. A lot of history there. I mean, it's, it's uh, gosh, Gordon Bethune told us the story and actually in our book about Delta, about how back when Jim Whitehurst was the CEO of Delta and Jerry Grinstein was retiring as CEO of Delta and Gordon Bethune was advising Delta's board. You know, he he, he basically advised against hiring uh, Jim Whitehurst as as uh, as CEO and a, a number of other you know, sort of uh, personality issues like that. I mean, don't forget, you know, the Oscar Munoz replaced Jeff Smizek, who was a Gordon Bethune protege. Uh, that of course uh, just last fall. So you know uh, these are, these are people who know each other well and don't always uh, see eye to eye. But it 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 kind of all goes back to the big question that always exists about it, United, which is everybody knows it's been you know sort of a financial laggard relative to uh, Delta and even you know you see where American is right now, having sp- with less time having passed since its merger, just just uh, you know just just already doing rather well. But United has been a a financial laggard for most of post deregulation history. I mean, if you look at it, among the airlines that survived, which is, which is to say not many. I mean, so so yeah, look, they're they've of course done better than plenty of other airlines that, that don't even exist anymore. But among those airlines that have survived, you know, among the big three global airlines, Delta, American, and United, uh, you know, both Delta and American, um, including some of their predecessor airlines, had 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 extended periods of outsized prosperity at various points in, in, in post-deregulation history. And United, that's not really the case for them. So, you know, is it this management team or the last management team's fault? Is it the board's fault or is there just something structural about United that, that, you know, makes it a, a more difficult airline to run? It's uh, it's just kind of always, always an interesting question. Just, just on a, on a personal note, you really do have to feel bad for Oscar Munoz, you know, coming, just, just returning from a heart plant, transplant and being, uh, 
uh, being faced with this. Never a dull moment in the airline business. Seth, thanks for the insights. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, let me remind you about Seth's book, Glory, Lost and Found, How Delta Airlines Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's getting good reviews on Amazon. Thanks for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. Could you write a book about Qantas's turnaround story? No more books for now, Jason. Oh, come on. One more. One more. I'm tired. One more. I'm tired.